0: Good morning. I want to ask a question. When is the last time that you thought about the fact that our God is the God of creation, who in the very beginning created the heavens and the earth when everything was dark and formless and empty and void? his spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. And it's our God in this room, it's our God who spoke the words and said, let there be light. And there was light. And who separated the day and night, light and darkness. And who did all this in a day. And it's our God who separated the waters and created an expanse called heaven. And it's our God who formed all the land, the dry land, and gathered all the water together for the seas and who put fruit and trees and vegetation on the land and then gave the fruit and the trees and the vegetation seeds so that it could reproduce. It's our God who separated and created years and seasons and months and weeks and day and night who put the sun in the sky and the moon in the sky? and then who added stars? Our God did this. We don't think about it very often, do we? That our God did all this in four days, and then he put creatures in the sky and in the sea, and then he made creatures on the land, and then he made humans, us in God, man in God's own image, and then he made a woman so that man wouldn't have to be alone, and then he gave us the ability to reproduce. And we don't think about the fact that this is the God that we serve very often. It's amazing. And my little five-year-old August comes home from River Kids every Sunday. And he's like, Mom, did you did you know that God gave David a little rock and he got the big guy and he went down? And I'm like, I know, isn't that so cool? And he's like, No, no, you don't understand. God, it was a rock and he was little and the guy was big and he was a giant, mom. And I'm like, "I know. It's the coolest story ever." No, no, mom. You don't understand. He's so frustrated with me. This is amazing what God did. He's so big that he could take down a big giant and and save all the people. And I'm like, "You're right. It's cool." I'm sorry, I forget. You know, we, we're adults and we, we've heard these stories our whole lives. We've heard the story of Jonah a million times about how the whale comes, right? And we've heard the story of David and Goliath, how God saves his people with a stone. I mean, it is a, a little guy and a willing heart and a stone. And that's God doing that. And sometimes we forget. We don't remember who it is that we serve this big, great, big, awesome God. He is all powerful, the God of creation. The God of Jonah is our God today. And so, this morning, as, I, as we look at a familiar text, as we look at a familiar story, I want us to just forget about Jonah for a second. We'll talk about Jonah, we'll read about Jonah, but let's look at God. I want us to look at this story with a fresh perspective. What is he doing in this story? How can we just fix our eyes on him and walk away from it like August going, can you believe it? Look at who he is, look at what he did. Because if we look at him, and this is just the beginning of the story, I only get to teach on chapter one, but I think we're still gonna walk away with a heart that's transformed and absolutely in awe of our God, amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and so big, so awesome. In power and mighty, compassionate, forgiving, just, loving. Forgive us for forgetting to look at you, to look high enough to remember who you are and what you've done. Lord, this morning, as we read the story of Jonah again, I pray that we wouldn't even think about, about ourselves. We would just have our eyes locked on your movements in this story and that as we watch and hear and receive, we would just be filled with awe and wonder. So I ask all this in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, people, we're going to read the story of Jonah together. So if you have your Bibles, will you please open them? If you don't have a Bible, will you look on your phone? Because you might get called on to read. (laughs) Um, I'll give you a second to turn there if you have a physical Bible because last week I was sitting with the Waddells in the back row and we were laughing as Taylor was teaching, not because you were exceptionally funny, although you are funny, Taylor, but because we couldn't find the book of Jonah. So I'll just give you a second. It's further over than you think. And um, we're going to do, like, we're, I just want us all to really get into the story together. So we're going to do a little popcorn reading, all right? So uh, follow along and read a verse and then popcorn to the next person. And you can pick anyone in the room that you want and they'll read the next verse. Sound good? All right. Jonah chapter one. We're going to read the whole chapter together. The word of the Lord Came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, verse two popcorn, joy, my new friend. Thank you, Mr. Hirschberger. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I know that's some of your worst nightmare, but there's something about reading the text together, right? We're actually paying attention to it. It's so easy for us when we read a passage of scripture, the first question that we ask after we read for it to be, what can I take away from this passage? What does it mean for me, right? What's the application for me of this? And what I want to do this morning is what I already told you. We're going to ask the question instead, what does this reveal to me about God and who God is? Where do we see God in this story? And so when I look at Jonah chapter 1, there's three things that God does in this story. He sends Jonah to Nineveh. He sends the storm. And he sends the fish, the great big fish, right? So what is God up to? What do... Does God doing those three things, these three sendings, reveal to us about who he is? That's where we're going this morning. So if you look at the text, the very first thing that God does is he sends Jonah to Nineveh to preach against their wickedness. Okay, so a little context here, and James is going to really get into this in a couple of weeks. I know he's excited too. He's already told us. This is an evil people. Nineveh is a, is a bunch of bad, wicked evil people who probably do not deserve forgiveness, okay? And this is where God calls Jonah to go to preach because he wants to give them a chance at repentance and then he wants to forgive them, right? That's God's ultimate plan. Jonah does not want to go. It says in the first few verses that Jonah runs, right? He takes off. I am not going to do that. Why does Jonah run? Here's a little more context because it's not in this first chapter. Jonah does not run because he's afraid of the people. As we find out later in this story, the reason that Jonah runs is because he is afraid that the people will repent and receive the forgiveness of God. He does not want the Ninevites to be forgiven. They are so bad. They are so evil. They're the enemy of Israel. They don't deserve it. So I don't want to go preach that message so that they might have a chance at forgiveness. At repentance, that's the reason Jonah doesn't want to go. Later he says, I know who you are, God. I know you're compassionate and forgiving. They don't deserve that. And I think it's easy to look at Jonah and go, oh, he's just being selfish. He's just, he's one of the bad ones. And he's not. I want us to actually put ourselves in Jonah's shoes for a second and think about, I'm going to make this real. I was up at Hume Lake a couple of weeks ago. Um, speaking. And a couple hours after the message, this woman came up to me. We had had this amazing time of just being with the Lord after the sermon and just worshiping and praying and repenting. And she came up to the front um, and she was weeping like uncontrollably. She was so emotional and she had this army of women around her. It was like seven or eight women that were like around her on all sides, weeping with her. And she came forward, and she said, I said, what's going on? Can I pray for you? What's the Lord doing in your heart? And she said, "Um, my ex-husband abused my daughter for years, and I'm in this nasty court battle with him, and it's awful. I'm faced with what he did over and over and over again. And yet, as I sit here with the Lord, I sense that he's leading me to offer him forgiveness. And he's not, she's not making saying that this is okay. It's not that she doesn't have boundaries. It's not that God's telling us all we need to go do this. She is feeling compelled by the Lord to offer forgiveness. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean she accepts it. She's still angry and she's fighting it as she's sharing it with me. She's like, this is what I feel like the Lord's doing in my heart, and I don't know how to do that, and I'm angry, and I can't do that. How could I do that? This evil man who abused my, he doesn't deserve that. And I just want us to think about this in a real situation for a minute, because I think this is what Jonah is feeling. It's this, it's this anger. Those people are bad. They are wicked. How could, I for, how could I go there and be a messenger and offer them grace and forgiveness? It's not a simple matter of like, oh, I just don't want to do that. I don't like that. He is really wrestling with this. He's struggling with this, what God's asked him to do. But when we look at the story and we go, what is God up to in here? We see that God is revealing that he is so great. The breadth and depth of his love and forgiveness is so big that he would lead Jonah to go and offer it to a Nation like this, to 120,000 people who are living in sin and wickedness, it reveals to us God's graciousness, His compassion, His love, and His forgiveness. But then also, what we see in there is that He's inviting Jonah to receive from that experience. Have you ever um, held on to unforgiveness? You know what that feels like in your body? It's all consuming, it's horrible. Jonah's living with hatred of this people. So in in God sending Jonah, he's not just offering something to the Ninevites, He's offering something to Jonah. Have you ever let go of something? For offered forgiveness to someone else? Do you know what that feels like? It's this all of a sudden this weight comes off of you. It's this lightness. It doesn't make the pain go away. But all of a sudden, you're not carrying that around. You're giving it up to the God who's the ultimate judge, who's going to judge more harshly than you, by the way. But do you know what I mean? And that's what God is leading Jonah into. There's this um, quote that I absolutely love, and it says this. The greatest sources of our sufferings are often the lies that we tell ourselves. The greatest sources of our sufferings are often the lies that we tell ourselves. It's from the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Has anybody read that one? Let me tell you about this book. This book is all about how what we experience, what's happening here and what's happening here affects our whole entire being and our body and our health. It affects our action. It affects how we live. I got a therapist approval. Chris, I almost nodding his head. So I feel confident about saying that. What, What God is doing in sending Jonah, he's leading Jonah into this freedom. You don't have to live with that. I'm inviting you into freedom. There's a quote from a John, Johns Hopkins medical journal, as you release anger, resentment and hostility, you know what happens it says? Quote, you begin to feel empathy, compassion and sometimes even affection for the person who wronged you. It changes the composition of your body. Literally. It changes the composition of your body. And so when we look at the story and we ask, what is God leading Jonah to do? What is God up to in this story? What is he doing in the sending of Jonah to the Ninevites? He's out for the good of the Ninevites, right? He wants to see them forgiven. He's revealing how great his forgiveness is and his love for them, his relentless love for them. But we also see his love for Jonah. We also see that he's after not just the good of the Ninevites, he's he's out for the good of Jonah, because he is ultimately good. That's what he has in mind. Good for all around, right? What's the second thing we see? And this is why Jonah ran, by the way. He's like, that good? I don't want that. I'm not ready for that. And so he doesn't just run from the assignment, it says he runs from the Lord, the presence of the Lord, which is interesting, because... Jonah has an understanding of the wrath and compassion of God, right? He, he reveals it in the fact that he says, oh, I, I don't want to go to Nineveh because I don't want them to be forgiven. So if they're not forgiven, they're going to get the punishment that they deserve because God is wrathful. But then somehow Jonah believes that he can also outrun God, that he can escape him, which reveals to us what? That Jonah's picture of God is really screwed up, that Jonah has this totally distorted, twisted picture of who God is. He doesn't believe he's loving. He doesn't believe he's forgiving. He doesn't believe that the Ninevites deserve forgiveness. He's telling the lies, the greatest sources of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. What are the lies that Jonah is telling himself? One, I can think of a few. Jonah is suffering because he's telling himself the lie that the Ninevites don't deserve forgiveness. He's telling himself the lie that I don't deserve forgiveness, which is why he jumps over the side of the ship in the first place, right? I'm too far gone. This is my, this is my problem now. I'm going to solve it for myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going. He doesn't believe in the forgiveness for himself. And he also kind of believes that he's in control, right? If I don't go, they're not going to get forgiven. Like somehow I'm in charge here. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're not in charge here. This is about me. So in sending Jonah, he reveals his forgiveness, his compassion, his love for the Ninevites, for, the, for Jonah, and just his character, who he is. Second thing, God sends a storm. I already said that, but I just, gosh, get going. I get so excited. What's next? Let's look at verses four to eight. So Jonah boards the ship. God sends a violent storm. And we have this wild contrast between the sailors and the captain who are panicking and throwing everything overboard. They're like, let's get rid of all this extra weight. We're about to die. We're about to die. We want to live. And Jonah, who doesn't care about living, he goes in the bowels of the ship and falls asleep. It's like the exact opposite of the sailors. They're like, how do we get rid of this storm? And Jonah's like, I just ran from God. I disobeyed him. What else is there for me? Like, where else could I go from here? And so he just goes down into the bowels of the ship and he falls asleep. Into a deep sleep, it says. And then they are asking around, whose fault is this? We know that it's somebody's fault. And Jonah, in uh, verses 9 to 12, essentially says, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. What should we do, they say. And Jonah says, throw me overboard. The only way to solve this problem is for you to throw me overboard. And they're like, if you are who you say you are, a Hebrew who fears the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. If this is who you are, we're not throwing you overboard. God's angry with you. We're going to die if we throw this guy overboard. So they refuse. They try to paddle to shore. They're unsuccessful. They realize they're going to have to throw Jonah overboard. They throw Jonah overboard. And look at verse 15. Immediately, the raging sea grew calm. What do your translations say? The raging sea grew calm, or What's yours, Gary? Mr. Hirschberger. The sea stopped its raging. You know what's so funny? I read I read this verse on the beach, and a wave out of nowhere came forward and just went so far, so close to the service that the trash cans were floating in the water, like it was like right behind me. It was kind of cool. But the sea stopped its raging. That really happened, right, James? I didn't exaggerate that. Thank you. The sea stopped its raging. And so, okay, this is, it's so clear. God is angry with Jonah. God sends the storm. That's the second thing God sends. But my question is, why did God send the storm? What was God up to? He's angry, right? We know he's angry. And it could have just been like a little temper tantrum. I'm mad at you, Jonah. You disobeyed me. The storm, but like, you know, I think God's probably a little more intentional than that. Not just a temper tantrum. The sailors on board think, oh, God sent that storm to kill us all because he's mad. So they, they're fearing for their lives because they believe that that's what's gonna happen, that God's just gonna wipe everyone out. But I don't think that God sent the storm because he wants everyone dead. Otherwise he would have just done it, right? So I started thinking, why would like what is God after in sending the storm? Because God doesn't just do things with no reason and no end in mind. What is his end? And it, it got me thinking, where else in scripture do I see God display all powerful control over the elements like this? Where else do I see that and what is he after in those moments? Could we look at some of those stories and see anything else about what he what he wanted out of that? And the very first story that came to mind was from Matthew chapter 8 where it's a really it's really odd. It's a very similar picture to Jonah. It's where Jesus is asleep on the boat. Do you remember with his disciples? And there's a raging storm it says, and Jesus is asleep and the disciples are panicking for their lives. And they're they're terrified. What's going to happen? Jesus and they wake Jesus up and here's what it says. Save us, Lord. We are perishing. I love that it's like in the process of perishing, right? We are perishing. And Jesus says to them, why are you afraid, men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So I'm hearing this story, I'm going, okay, how about the next one? The next story that came to mind. I'm not, like, doing a ton of research. I'm just thinking, like, wind, waves. What does it make me think of? Peter walking on water. That's the next story I thought of. It's just a couple chapters over in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, and this is what happens. Um, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him. He walks out onto the water, and all the disciples are like, ooh, it's a ghost. Ooh! And Jesus says, no, 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 it's I. Do not be afraid. That was my um, (laughs) added effect here. And, um, And Jesus says that, or Peter says this in verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter replies, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says this, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. And he said this to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. It's very interesting. That when we read both of these stories, what does Jesus call out in the disciples who are with them? Their faith. He's like, why don't you trust me? He displays this amazing power and control over the elements to say, why don't you trust me? Do you see? Look at what I can do. And I wonder if God is after the very same thing in sending the storm in the book of Jonah. What if God is simply sending the storm because he's saying, Do you remember who I am, Jonah? I'm the God of creation who created the heavens and the earth. I gathered the waters together and made them sea, and I created the dry land. Don't forget it is me. It is I. I am the Lord. I did all of this. I made all of this. You're forgetting. You think you're in control? I am the Lord. And I think Jonah knows that this is exactly what God is doing because Jonah responds when everyone's panicking. And he refers to the God of creation. This is exactly what he says. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He's like, I know it, but I'm still not going to trust you. And that's just mind-blowing to me. Because here, I mean, if this story played out a different way, I imagine, you know, what if Jonah has this moment like the disciples where he says, okay, Lord, you're right. I forgot. I forgot that you're the almighty God of creation who has complete control over the wind and the sea, and you can stop this storm right now. Show me where to go next. I just imagine what, how that conversation would have played out. I do not think that God would have been like, you know what, Jonah? Sorry, but you blew it. You're out you better just jump overboard. Why do I not believe that that's what God would have done? Because God already in this story has revealed who he is to us. That he's a God of forgiveness and love and compassion and grace and mercy. He's already showed us in sending Jonah to the Ninevites in the first place. So I imagine this moment where Jonah repents to God and God says, ah, I'm so glad you remembered. Let's go. Let's go on to the next thing. Let's keep moving together. Because he's loving God. And he keeps pursuing him again and again and again. But this is not what Jonah does, right? What does Jonah do? He decides, I'm too far gone. I am still in control. I'm taking matters into my own hands. I got myself into this mess. I'm going to get myself out of this mess. And so he jumps over the ship. And then the third thing, God sends the fish. And God is reminding Jonah again, I love you. I will continue to pursue you, even when you don't deserve it, even when you don't trust me, even when you don't love me, even when you disobey me, there is a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth chance, and I will keep going after you because that is who I am. And I just, I love this story because when we read it and we fix our eyes on God, we see that God is just after an imperfect guy who wants to go his own way, who's doing his own thing, who believes he has control over his own life, who thinks he can run from God, who thinks he can control the fate of the Ninevites. And the Lord is gracious and kind and saying, nope, I'm going to keep reminding you that I'm God and you're Jonah, but I'm not going to let you end your life because that's what would happen if Jonah was in control, right? He would have just jumped over the ship and it would have been over. But he's not. God is. So I want to invite up now um, Kirby Anderson, who is a beloved member of our community. And Kirby has a powerful testimony of the relentless love of God and pursuit of God in her own life. And um, as I was thinking and praying about this coming to life, like how does it look for us to be relentlessly pursued by God Um, the Lord brought you to mind, Kirby. And so I called her and said, would you share a little bit of your story and the Lord pursuing you? And she was like, yes! It was like an enthusiastic, not even like I have to think about it because, uh, well, I'll let you share it and then I'm going to give a word of affirmation to Kirby. So Kirby Anderson, everyone.
1: All right, so I want to preface my story by kind of telling you where my heart was at the time. Um... I grew up in a Christian home, albeit not perfect. Um, My parents raised us to know and love God. Um, And when I was an undergraduate at Biola, I was choosing a lifestyle that was not exactly what God wanted for me. Um, Funny enough, being in the Biola bubble, I was escaping that constantly to go back to my hometown friends that were not so great influences. I think I was a little bit intimidated by the Biola demographic, but also was seeking familiarity, acceptance, vanity, you name it. Um, which is why all this came to a head when I chose something unquestionable, and, or a little questionable, and wound up pregnant by somebody I didn't know. Um, and the next thing that happened was I went and told my mom, like within minutes, which, surprising to me, she handled that information very lovingly. Um, and then, later that night, we went and told my sister Bray, and um, I confessed everything. I, I gave everything that I was doing over and said, well, we're done. I'm done with this. There's something else going on now that's more important, and... Um, I felt like God was saying, don't hold anything back because it'll just be used against you. Stop crying, Bray, you're making me cry. (laughs) So um, that was it. The ball was rolling. Um, And about, I mean, I was a nanny for a long time. I think Sean's here today. I was a nanny of his kids. Um, I was a nanny for a long time, always wanted to be a mom. I just thought, okay, we're going to get an unconventional start. And about a weekend, I went to tell my two childhood friends who come from a family of seven openly adopted kids. And as I was sitting there telling them that I was pregnant and what my plans were going to be, I felt for the first time in our entire friendship to ask them, how do you feel about your birth moms? Do you resent them? Do you hate them? Do you feel abandoned? And their response was, no, only by the grace of God was I placed in this family and um, we see her sacrifice, we see their sacrifices. Um, So I went home that night and grappled with God, and I very clearly heard him say, this baby's not yours, she's mine. And so pleaded and asked for that not to be the case, but next morning that was it, no looking back. Um, Told my family that I was choosing adoption, and then my sister and my dad started giving me candidates for parents, which I hated, and I told them not to do that. <laughs> I said, I don't wanna know who the parents are um, in terms of them being in my community. I didn't wanna go into a grocery store and see my child with other people. I didn't want to have mutual connections that knew my child better than I did. I wanted to be the number one connection. So very open, but me being the person that she would go to, to know about me and my family. So um, I kind of just waited and prayed and was about to head into my senior year of college. And then Bray was on a walk with her friend Amber at the time. And Amber was telling her about how her friend Amanda Brockman was trying and trying to get pregnant and couldn't. And then they had resolved to adopt, which was a hard decision, but they were going for it. And Bray was like, okay, hold on one second. Kirby's having a baby, and she's choosing adoption. And I'm not supposed to bring people to her, but I'm going to call her anyways. I just feel like this is something I need to do. She called me. God put it on my heart to say, yeah, I'll talk to her. I'll talk to this Amanda. So Amanda called me the next day, and we talked for five hours, and I fell in love. And I knew it was her immediately. I knew she was the mother of my daughter. And then her husband and her flew out, Mark. They flew out two days later. And we sat in Bray's house while they left for five hours and chatted and got to know each other and cried about the situation. And I just knew. I knew that was them. I knew it. And God gave me overwhelming peace about it. And there were like little miraculous elements that he made clear that it was him and not us choosing this. Um, and they met my parents, and they, everybody just kind of felt good about it. So I went into school the next week, starting senior year, And um, it was not easy. I had severe morning sickness. Biola was sometimes hard. I, there was a lot of wonderful people who accepted it very well, and then there was some that were not so kind. I had a roommate move out because she told me her parents wouldn't accept me. And usually that would be something that I think I would have held on to a lot of bitterness, but it was like, oh, okay well, this wasn't meant then. So I'm okay with that. I also had Amanda. Uh, She kind of became my best friend that semester. I talked to her every single day. She was everything for me at that moment. And I think that's what made it so much easier too is because I felt like I was giving my child to somebody that I knew as well as I knew myself. I also met my now husband, Jake, first day of senior year because he had switched into my major. We sat next to each other and grew really close, and he never knew I was pregnant. I didn't hide it. I just felt God say, don't tell him, for some reason. And he kept asking me out, and I insisted we remain friends for obvious reasons. And um, then I took winter in her term and uh, was supposed to have her at the very end of it, and She ended up being late and uh, was late into my second semester. And she was not an easy delivery. She was like 42 hours and rough. And it all was God orchestrated because it meant I got to spend two days in the hospital with her instead of one. And I needed that. And Bray did the handoff from me to Amanda. And I like to think that it prepared her for being a foster parent, having to reunite her foster children with their families. I'm speaking for you, but I believe that's true. Um, And yeah, I had to go to school three days later. And um, Jake had heard about it through gossip and whatnot, but um, didn't believe it. And then when I was late into semester, he was like, oh, maybe she did have a baby. (laughs) I can't really explain this type of loss, because it is a choice, but it feels like cutting off a limb, uh, continually cutting off that limb, watching somebody else enjoy your limb, feeling the phantom of that limb, how raw it is all the time. Um, When I left the hospital, I mean, I was so loud in the car, I'm sure the cars around us thought something was wrong with me. When I got home, my dad carried me to my bed, and surrounded me, and I wailed. I've never screamed or cried that loud in my life. I mean, it's like, that's morning. I didn't know what that meant before. Um, But 10 days after I had her postpartum, I hemorrhaged and had to have a blood transfusion and an emergency DNC, so I was late again to school. And when I came back, Jake finally came up to me and said, is everything okay? By the way, I know that you had a baby. So uh, we went to coffee, chatted for two hours, and I told him everything, very raw, recent story. And when we left, uh, he texted me and said, whatever man gets to marry you is the luckiest man on earth. Um, So count yourself lucky. Um, (laughs) But I believe that God gave me Jake as a healing cushion for Edith and... um, it's so obvious how much he pursued me relentlessly. And um, he's given me knowledge and empathy and compassion in ways that I didn't think I would ever get. Um, I didn't even know were possible. Um, And I think it dilates, dilates, um, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Goes out into my relationships. (laughs) I looked at Becca because she's about to dilate. (laughs) <laughs> goes out into my relationships and is part of my identity. And so this is my story about Edith.
0: When I think about Kirby and her story and just all the ways the Lord has pursued you, even like in you sharing, there's these moments where you say like, I went to the Lord and I prayed and I felt him say to me, you're going to give this baby to someone else. And even the way that you communicate it, I remember because we were friends back then, but complete confidence, like so much, you're communicating peace, you're speaking those parts of your story with peace. And I know that that, was only from the Lord. There's no other way that that could be possible. And I just, um, the thing that I love about Kirby's story is that you recognize the Lord in all of those moments. You see him when in the middle of it and when you look back. But Kirby, now having received and understanding the compassion and kindness and relentless love of God, does not hold it to herself. You go forward now and you play a part and get handing that off. And I think about your role in your grounded group and in mom's group. And I think about, I just found out Kirby does rush now. Like what else does Kirby do in your neighborhood, in your marriage, in your family? You are someone who now, God has said, God said to Jonah, God has said to you, like, I want you to understand and receive my love so that you can play a part in my story in going forward. And even Kirby, I hope it's okay that I say this, but came up to me in between services and she's like, Brooke, you're not going to believe this girl came up to me on the beach and like, this is her story and she connected with me and she has a sister and I don't know who it is. I hope it's okay I'm saying that because it's not, but like this keeps happening to you like because you're vulnerable and open with what the Lord's done in your life, he's multiplying it and he's totally receiving glory through it. So thank you. Um, Let's pray for Kirby. (laughs) Lord, thank you so much for Kirby. Thank you for what you are doing in her life now, Lord, what you have been doing in her life. You have received so much glory from her and the way that she raises her children, her relationship with the Brockmans, through her church family, through our church family, through the river, Lord. You have given her wisdom and empathy and compassion. You've given her moments to connect with people who need to be connected with in order that they might just have a pathway forward to you. You've used Kirby to give people hope. You've used Kirby to encourage deeply in your love, Lord. She is just like this open vessel that just flows with your love, and it just fills her and just leaves her and flows out into every person that she comes in contact with, Lord. I just, when I think about Kirby, the word that just keeps coming to me is freedom because she lives so freely and openly. She's not afraid of anything. She's like, Lord, use my life and my story for yours, for your glory, and that's what I see in her. So, Lord, we just thank you for her. We thank you for her testimony this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness in her life, Lord, and we just recognize that this all points back to you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Kirby. I'm so encouraged by your story, and I just I love the reminder of looking back to God, going, Lord, what are you up to? Where can I see you? How can I see your love pursuing after me? And I just wonder, as Taylor comes up and, and leads us in a moment of Um, to celebrate and have communion together. If we might ask the Lord, like, where have I seen your relentless love in my life? Where have you pursued hard after me? And I can look back and go, that was you. You're so good. You're the God of creation. You're the God who was trying to get my attention, maybe, all along. And I see what you've been up to in my life. I see your kindness. I see your faithfulness. And maybe there's something in our life where we, um, we're holding on to a false view of God like Jonah was. Ah, I thought you were angry. I thought you wanted retribution. And God's like, no, do you know who I am? Do you see who I am? Can you let that go? Can you see who I really am? What, what's in scripture? What's proven over and over again and what I've done in, in the story of your life? can you see me for that God? So let's take a minute now as Taylor comes up and um, we'll just have some time to uh, take the elements and just reflect.
2: Thank you, Brooke. Um, And Kirby, uh, both of you guys. um, Both honor us by um, sharing Brooke uh, teaching from God's word, using the gifts that God's given you. Um, Kirby, through sharing your story and the way that you've experienced God pursuing you relentlessly. And that's what In many ways, the story of Jonah is about as a story of a God who pursues relentlessly. He pursues the wicked, the most wicked of the wicked in Nineveh. He pursues hard-hearted religious folk whose life looks squeaky clean on the outside, but whose uh, hearts are not all the way set towards the Lord. He pursues all of us. And uh, we see that no more clearly than on the cross of Jesus Um, because the cross of Jesus is the full extent of God recklessly, relentlessly, overwhelmingly pursuing his people, entering into the human story, entering into my experiences and your experiences, suffering the way that we're suffering, being tempted to sin the way that we're tempted to sin, yet doing it without sin, reliving our story yet in a way that we haven't lived in perfect connection with the Father and trust of the Father. And one of the things that we see in, in on Jesus's cross is you know, in Jonah's story, Jonah throws himself overboard, um, partially to avoid God, Uh, I'm spilling communion juice everywhere. Um, Partially to to punish himself. Uh, But that's not what God asks of us. God doesn't ask us to punish ourselves. God doesn't ask us to beat ourselves up. God asks us to come in repentance and faith to him. Because Jesus was cast overboard for us. Jesus has already paid in full every debt outstanding before God. and So that's what we're reminding ourselves as we come come to the table this morning, come to the elements of the Lord's Supper, reminding ourselves that Jesus has done for us what we haven't done for ourselves. Jesus has paid in full the price of every sin, past, present, and future, and every sin, past, present, and future is forgiven entirely. And so we're doing this. We're declaring that truth over ourselves. And so let's take uh, together um, the night Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread he says, this is my body broken for you, and we take in remembrance of him, remembering the body of Jesus broken for us. Would you take in remembrance of Jesus right now? And he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, my blood of the new covenant, the text says. "Jesus's blood was shed so that every sin, past, present, and future would be paid Come to the Father with full access. Let's take a remembrance of Him. God, we love you, and we're so grateful for your grace. Grateful that we can come before you, whatever we're bringing in this morning, at any moment of our lives, and uh, we can come. forgiveness, we can come receive mercy, we can come and know that you are our Father who loves us, who calls us to higher and better and
1: to stand. I might cry through this whole song, so let's just, let's just all cry together. Okay, thanks, Kirby.
3: I've carried a burden for two I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. All I know is I need you. So I run to the fall, fall into grace. I'm done. goodness, to your mercy to you. are, Lord, would you open our eyes to the intention of your will toward us, God, that it is always good, that it is always loving. May we run to you, God, this morning. May our hearts not run from you, but may we run to you. May this be the anthem of our heart this week, that we can run to Thank you for that truth, God. We love you. We worship you. We give you all the glory. We give just a special blessing over Kirby and the Anderson family, God. pray that you would wrap them up in your presence, that you would bless them, that you would bless Kirby. So much Kirby for your story.